Hello, Ethos AP Human Geography. Welcome to your midterm test review. So this test is going to be the week of March 6th. Uh, you should get a, a date and time from your testing proctors, and they'll have all the stuff you need, such as your uh, password and, and whatnot. Um, I don't know that you really need anything for the test. Maybe have a scratch piece of paper and a pen or pencil, something like that. But it's all going to be on the, the computer. Um, it is a long test, so just be prepared. Um, it's uh, it's kind of kind of a grind. So you know, uh, it sometimes can lead to to test exhaustion and, and things like that. Uh, I mean, it's not like that long of a test, but it is something when you're sitting there staring at a screen and um, you're reading and concentrating. It, it 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 is a grind. So just be prepared for that that part of it. Okay, uh, so I'm going to go through the test uh, review with you. Um, I don't think we can do this in one sync session. There's just a lot of stuff. So this uh, podcast will serve as the main review. However, I will be on Sunday the 5th uh, if you think you have any questions that I can try and answer for you. Okay, uh, but if you want this document, it is <clears throat> on uh, in our classroom. You can grab it and you can type or write as you listen or just listen and uh, try not to go to sleep. All right, so first off, fresh kills. So fresh kills, it sounds like it should be something where we have went out and hunted you know, hunters and gatherers, and we're, we've got this fresh kill. Uh, but fresh kill is actually going to be a landfill uh, up in New York, and in fact, it is the largest landfill uh, in the world. Uh, so it is a huge place up there in New York. So don't get it confused with anything to do with hunting. Uh, reactions to natural hazards. So we react different ways to natural hazards that are out there, whatever they might be, okay? Um, we all have different perceptions. We all have different responses. Um, and all those things are going to be cognitive, okay, uh, when we do those sorts of things. So the way I see a natural hazard versus the way you see a natural hazard might be different. The way I respond and you respond might be different, and it's all up there uh, with our cognitive ability. Uh, Kentucky's Valley of the Drums. So once again, another name that sounds like it might be a, you know, a great place for a, someone who, who likes to, to play music and go bang on their drum and things like that. But this is actually going to be uh, someplace that you don't want to go because it is a toxic um, waste dump. Basically, uh, companies that produce this stuff have put their toxic waste into uh, barrels, drums, uh, if you've ever seen like a burn barrel or um, something like that, but they have put it there and then that's dumped. And so there's just so many of there, so many of them in this place. Uh, they call it the Valley of the Drums. <clears throat> All right, the center of American cities, uh, central business district labeled uh, PVI, which indicates um, basically it is the area uh, with maximum access. So that most cities, when you look at some of the models we have, uh, most of the cities are going to be built around those central business districts and then kind of circle out. And so uh, the, the, that place is going to have the most uh, access. All right, high density, density urban cities. All righty. Um, these are places with just uh, a ton of people living in them. Okay. And because of the, the amount of people, it's going to just 
naturally increase the need for food, infrastructure, uh, services, uh, transportation, all those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, just because there's so many people there and, and they have to be fed, they have to be uh, served with, with services and whatnot. Um, and a good example, one of these is like Hong Kong. There's just, they are there's a massive amount of people living in a, in a small area. Okay. Uh, Homer Hoyt <clears throat> city development model. So basically Hoyt's model is, is based on people living in divided sections uh, of a city based on income levels. All right. So you uh, have the, the different areas. Uh, and I think on the, the test, there's a, a model to look at or not a model, but a, like a, I guess it is a model um, of a, of a city and it, it just so has some graphics and whatnot and and don't forget that Hoyt's going to add also uh, a transportation corridor so basically hey, you've got these different sections and you got to be able to get around them and so here's a corridor uh, whether it be a road a train bus route whatever it might be uh, but this is able to get people to and fro uh, as well as move materials possible uh, features of middle ages or european colonial cities so remember back then there was no trains, there was no cars, there was, it wasn't like that. The way to get stuff around was uh, by, by water, all right? So most of these uh, places are going to, to be on water, whether it be a canal, a river, lake, ocean, whatever it might be, uh, it's going to, to be on one of those items so that it can move their goods around. And it's going to be close to the, the stuff, okay? Farming, uh, clothing, mercantile, whatever it is that's being produced, it, it, it's all going to be centrally located. You can't take days upon days to get your stuff to the, the city and then ship it places. It's going to, you know, you need to be close by. Uh, planned parkland developments around European cities. Uh, so that's going to be the green belts where they have basically just, hey, here's uh, some stuff. Not stuff, that's a very general term, but uh, yeah, where, where they try and bring some natural like a park or something like that to a uh, to the cities cities representative of national culture are called uh, primate cities all right and it's because they're, they're, the, they're the largest cities uh, within their countries all right uh, the area surrounding a city from which it obtains food that is the hinterlands so you don't grow much food obviously in your big cities your urban areas and things like that so you have to have to get the food from somewhere and so uh the places the farmlands and things like that that's around a city or, or close by to a city um, are going to be those hinterlands and that's where the, the food is brought in from typically now we've gotten a little bit different because we have food from all over the place nowadays you know and we can go to the store and we can get food uh, pretty quickly and easily from from all kinds of different regions and different places and grown in different different states and in different countries but um that is you know when at, at its core when we first started um the the cities would exist and then outside the cities would be the farmlands uh abraham levitt so levitt is famous for levittowns he and his company building company are basically going to be the ones that create these cookie cutter kind of suburbs uh, where, hey, every house looks the same and they throw them together. It's a, a planned town, basically a planned um, 
you know, a, a plain suburb, basically. So, hey, you got the cities and all the action that's going on there with, with work and, and apartments and, and things like that. But, you know, now that we have cars, let's move out. And so they started to, to buy up land outside of the cities and they would build these houses and they would put them up quickly, very quickly, uh, because they all look the same. And so that's uh, the Levittowns. You'll probably get that in U.S. history as well. Uh, the Franks, the Burgundians, the Othio, Osteographs, and the Vandals. Sorry, I can't speak. Uh, so a couple things in common with these, these individuals. They all were Germanic tribes, okay? And they're all competing for resources, whether it be land, food, whatever it might be. Uh, and they move around a lot. Okay, and eventually they're going to start moving south. And, and some of these groups are going to be the ones that lead to the, the downfall of the Roman Empire. Uh, how did the Industrial Revolution change agriculture? Um, well, they, the, the main thing, the main takeaway is that it began the, the process or the practice, I guess would be the better way of saying it, of starting to, to fence in uh, our fields and whatnot. Now, it's not the traditional fence that we think of you have a, a wooden fence or uh, maybe barbed wire you know that doesn't come along until much later um, but this is going to be you think of the European the hedgerows and the stones and, and things like that they're going to basically start blocking off different sections uh, of farm farmland and things like that all right we're going to take a quick break there I'll be right back after these messages when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back, AP Human Geography. So we had left off uh, with the Industrial Revolution. So we'd answer that. Now we're picking up with the cause of tsunamis. So uh, tsunamis are something that's going to happen um, on coastal areas, or not on, but in coastal areas as the these giant waves uh, come crashing in. Um, and that's an understatement, okay? Uh, the cause of them typically is going to be these underwater earthquakes, uh, which don't really affect, you know, like us here in Georgia uh, too much, but they will have, so the earthquake will happen under the water. It'll create this huge upswell of water that causes these tsunamis that, that will go uh, to the coastal areas. Predatory lending. So predatory lending is something we got to, you're, you're really not going to probably be affected by it today. You could at some point in your life, but um, it's, the, the practice of ma basically making loans to people that really can't afford them, okay? And so you put this undue uh, burden, financial burden, uh, on people that uh, probably shouldn't be in that situation. So you probably shouldn't have given the loan to them anyways. Uh, but you think you can make some money. And, so, and I'm not saying when I say use the, the companies that do this kind of stuff. Um, and it's going to, you know, like I said, it's going to put this burden on people. Um, whether it be for homes, for cars, whatever it might be, it, the loan can be for almost anything. Uh, but it's gonna, it, it, it has a pretty big effect uh, on lower income people, okay? And typically uh, those people uh, in urban cities, uh, inner cities and things like that. Gentrification. 
So this is the practice of moving in to older neighborhoods, maybe sometimes run down neighborhoods. Um, and so you move in there because it's, it's typically going to be cheaper. And so uh, people that can afford it will move in and then they'll start to, to spruce the place up. And uh, as these things come in, then businesses come in and, and things like that. And it, it makes the area more popular. Well, as that happens, the price of the property increases. And so this starts to squeeze out the people that used to live there. I don't know if you watch TV much, but there's a show called Shameless. Uh, it was on, I think, Showtime maybe. And then it was on Netflix or it, it, so it was on Showtime and it ran its course 11 seasons. It's on Netflix now. That's where I watched it. Uh, and it's about the gentrification of a South side neighborhood in, in Chicago. So, um, it's got some coarse language and some stuff. So be careful, uh, if you're not into that kind of stuff, but it, uh, it, it does show the gentrification of this area in Chicago. Uh, the ring of fire, uh, it is the, you know, ring in the Pacific uh, with volcanic and tectonic uh, activity on a pretty regular basis. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot going on out there uh, under the water. A uh, major factor in the size and function of most of our U.S. cities. Okay, so I'm going to go and say it's the car. You know, the, the, the car is what really led to uh, so much. And it, it is, you know, you used to have to live within walking distance of your work, and that led to cities being packed because that's where the work was. Well, the car comes around, and now people can start moving out of the cities. And, well, I can live 10 miles away. I can just drive into work. You know, it didn't happen that quickly, but it's going to, to be a huge deal. Shipping. We can now ship things by car. It doesn't have to be by train. It doesn't have to be by boat. We can ship things through trucks and things like that. And so it really allows the expansion of so much stuff um, and, and lets our cities do so much more uh, because of the, of, of the, the car. Uh, urban networks tied together in some meaningful way. That's a very weirdly worded thing. I think it'll make more sense once you see it on the, the test. Um, but it's functional linkage, okay? Uh, basically increasing the percentage of the population uh, living in a city, okay, uh, is basically what we're getting there. So these urban networks um, increase uh, the, the numbers of, of people. Uh, York, okay, so this was the first major city uh, really in the world, okay? Uh, if you well, you haven't done it because you're probably a freshman. Uh, but world history, you'll you'll get into to this in, in Mesopotamia, the Fertile Crescent. So, Uruk uh, is going to to really be that first. Hey, we've settled, and now we have this major uh, living center where we have protection because we have built walls around us. We have uh, people living in homes. We have separate uh, living spaces, uh, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, really just you need to remember it's, it's really one of the first major city or the first major city uh, that comes out of Mesopotamia. And then some of the stuff that it had, the features that it had, uh, the living quarters, the walls, and 
uh, being able to, to start feeding people on a regular basis and, and jobs and all that kind of stuff. Uh, concentric zone model of urban structure. Okay, so basically uh, this is a model. Okay, and it's just that cities are going to be built around that the, the central business district. So you you got the businesses pop up, and then the, the city starts to spread out from there. So that's all that's getting at. Uh, nodal points. So these are focal points. Typically, it's going to be that central business business district that is the focal point uh, of a city. All right, and you're going to have all kinds of things uh, around that central business district. You're going to have ground transportation, uh, the financial centers, the banks, the stores, the businesses, and all those sorts of things. So you're going to have those convenient things uh, because you are so close to the the, the business business district where every where all the business of the city is taking place. Uh, 1850 world population data, data, however you want to say it. Uh, there's an old saying that uh, around this time that the sun never set on the British Empire. Okay. And so that means they had colonized so much of the world that there was not a place where you could be that didn't have some kind of British influence. And so most of the population is going to be <clears throat> in some kind of British city, whether it is a actual British city, a colony, whatever it might be. Uh, that's where most of the world population is going to be. Uh, division of labor should be pretty simple for you. Hopefully that is just, <clears throat> excuse me, that is just uh, where we have different jobs. So instead of me doing everything, so let's say it's a, uh, I'm looking out a window and I see some people, a lawn service. So let's say I own a lawn service. And so instead of me cutting grass, weed eating, putting out the poison, doing all that stuff, let's divide it up. So I have extra people that will come in and will help me. And now one person will cut grass. This other person will weed eat. This other person will edge. This person will put out the, the fertilizer. So we just divide up the labor. And you could translate that to any, any set of, of jobs. Uh, Colombian exchange. So this was the exchange between Europe and the Americas. Uh, there's a couple of questions on there. There's some map questions you have to be able to read. Uh, but overall, the Colombian exchange is just that simple concept of uh, goods moving uh, from the Americas to Europe and from Europe to the Americas. Uh, modern agriculture in Europe is an extension of agriculture. Where? Well, so basically our, our agriculture started in uh, the Fertile Crescent, so that the Mesopotamian region and things like that. And so it's just been built on from there. And so modern agriculture is kind of a uh, extension of what started uh, there. Uh, green revolution in India and other parts of Asia. Uh, so that is going to lead to, to more grain production uh, because uh, so much land and area. And uh, when they started this green revolution, uh, that was one of the, the results of it. All right, let's take another quick break there. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back, AP Human. So we left off. We got done with the first page. And so we're moving on to the second page of your review. Uh, at least 
when I printed it out, that's what I had. So I'm not sure how yours looks and what you're using and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, we're picking up, <clears throat> excuse me, we had left off with the Green Revolution in India and other parts of Asia. And now we're picking up with planned economies. <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, planned economies, this is where, um, so, it's, it, it, so the, the goal of, of a planned economy is let's try and be as equitable, as fair as possible about distributing goods. So everybody should have a fair shot at getting the same amount of goods and all that sort of stuff. All right. Uh, there should be no one that goes that has more, no one that has less. It should be as equitable as possible. Subsistence agriculture. So this is basically the most basic level of farming. Uh, this is where you do just enough to basically keep you and maybe your family uh, going. All right, you're not going to be making any extra goods to to send out to other places to sell. This is just hey, this is what I'm eating. So I'm I'm picking this vegetable so I can eat it tonight. I have these chickens, these goats, these pigs, whatever it might be, um, and it's for me and my family only. Uh, agricultural land use according to von Thunen. So a couple of questions about von Thunen. All right. Uh, the, the main thing here, all righty, um, is, whoa, excuse me. Uh, you're going to so basically, okay, let me take a step back. I was trying to figure out what I was going to say. So von Thunen, remember he, he set up this model of farming and cities and all that kind of stuff. And so you have the, the city center. And then as you go out, you have farming. You have the different levels of farming uh, here. And so just building out, you're going to have your your kind of the, the stuff that doesn't last, so like dairies, vegetables, things like that. They're not going to last as long as you need to get them to market as quick as possible. So you're going to have them as close to the city center as possible. All right. As you get further out, that's where you're going to have your grains and things like that, because grains they once you pick them, they can last. They're not they don't they're not going to rot like a vegetable will. They're not going to turn sour like uh, the dairy products will, and the meat and things like that. So you're going to have that, and then it's going to you know just all the models are going to be a mix of the the grains and the dairies and the vegetables and stuff like that. Uh, pastoral nomadism. So uh, remember, this is basically where you uh, don't live in one spot. You're going to travel around, and typically you're going to travel around either with a herd or following a herd of, of animals. Uh, and that's, you know, that's how you live your life. Uh, capitalist industrial economic system versus capital commercial economy. Uh, in this situation, there's going to be more attention to the raw materials in the manufacturing process. Okay, that's the main takeaway here is you're going to, you know, here's the raw materials and we're going to, to that the focus is finding them and then turning them into whatever that final product might be. And it could be, you know, any number of things, whatever the, whether it be lumber uh, from trees, um, you know, pulling iron and other materials out of the ground, whatever it might be, uh, the most attention is paid to those raw materials. All right, China's economy today, uh, I'm not going to say it's capitalist, but it's capa capitalistic uh, would be maybe the best way to say it um, because there there's still some, there's plenty of private ownership, but there's still some, some government influence uh, over there. Uh, let's see. Industrial activity. So that is the use of raw materials to make a final product. So when we say that, you know, hey, we, we pulled this metal out of the ground and now we're going to turn it into a shovel or a car or whatever it might be. 
Uh, the two main principles in capitalistic economies. So the 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 bottom line is is supply and demand. Okay, uh, we as consumers demand stuff. So that's mean you going out and wanting to buy stuff. So whatever it is, we need clothes, a new phone, a new computer, a new car. Uh, food, whatever it might be, we demand stuff. And then there are suppliers, and those suppliers are going to be private citizens, uh, and they will supply stuff to us. So um, whatever it is you need, uh, the the main idea behind capitalism is that supply and demand. Uh, crop complex. So that is whatever com combinations of uh, different crops that work for the, the culture, wherever you're at. Okay, so crop complex, uh, it's not just one, it's gonna be multiple, but it's the combination that works best for you. Uh, and your, uh, your, uh, your group. Private sector, pretty simple. That is anybody or any groups that work outside the government. So uh, you will not be a part of the government. So um, like if you work Uh, Lockheed Martin, they build planes and, and things like that and sell them to the government a lot of times, the military, but they're not a part of the military. They're not a part of the government. They are outside. They are the private sector. Von Thunen rural land use model applied to the United States. Uh, so the best example is the Northeast and the, the dairies and the, veg, veg, uh, the vegetables, uh, farming and things like that up in the north Northeast. GMP per capita. So first off, GMP, what does it stand for? GMP is gross national product. It's really not an economic term we use too much anymore. I mean, it's still, okay, let me take a step back. So it is still a term that's out there, but it's not usually used as the measure uh, for uh, a, a country or, or places um, economic health. Okay. Gross national product basically is anything produced by a citizen of a country. So, um, you know, if I'm living here in America and American citizen and I produce stuff, it counts for my GMP. If I move to Mexico and I produce something, it counts toward America's GMP. So it's kind of a, we use GDP gross domestic product as a better measure of our country's health because that's stuff produced in the country versus GMP. Anyways, GMP per capita, it's just GMP per, per, per person. Um, so we can use it as a, a way to, to gauge how we're doing as an economy. Large scale economy. So those are going to be those planned economies um, that we talked about earlier, where everything is trying to be fairly distributed, equitably distributed. All right, primary sector economic activity and tertiary sector economic activity are the next two. Uh, so the primary stuff, that is the harvesting, the taking, the grab, what, whatever you want to call it. Okay, mining, cutting down raw materials. All right, so however we go about getting the raw materials, that is what that is. And I think you've seen this question on our test before. Uh, but it would be like taking the, the materials in the ground, uh, iron, aluminum, all that kind of stuff, and turn it into a car. Okay, that's the primary sector activity. The the terror, I, I can't say it right now, I'm so sorry. The tire, to tear, uh, I'm struggling. Hopefully you're reading it and uh, not trying to depend upon me. Um, but that is going to be, Okay, the car has been built. Now, 
what. So this is going to be the, the, the we have the finished product, and now it's going to be dealing with the, the, the sale or exchange of those products. Okay. And so uh, maybe I think you've seen this question before as well. Um, you know, selling insurance for the car would be an example of this. All right, let's take one more. Actually, we'll have two more breaks, but this will be the last uh, long break. Welcome back. Picking up with the, so when I said the last break, I meant the last break of, of content stuff. Um, and so we're picking up with irrigation. <clears throat> and this will be the last little set here. Um, so irrigation, uh, I think probably most people know what irrigation is. And it, it's going to be where we're watering the crops somehow. Um, typically, early on, it was through diverting water from rivers and lakes and things like that. Uh, it's a little bit different today, but um, still, you know, same concept. Uh, but to do this, it took a lot of work. And so in order to irrigate, especially back in the day, uh, it took, you know, whole communities getting together and uh, building and, and doing these kinds of things. Uh, commercial agriculture is pretty easy. That's where you're going to, to grow crops to be sold in different places. So, you know, my little garden that I used to grow where I would just have stuff for myself and my family. I wasn't selling it. Uh, that was definitely not commercial agriculture. This is going to be those huge, 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 huge uh, fields and crops, and they're going to sell them all over the place. Capitalism. Uh, so this is uh, where businesses are owned by the private sector, and everything's based on supply and demand. You know, and, and that leads to stuff happening. When I say stuff happening, I mean like um, if you get into a a so you're going to start selling stuff. Uh, it's your success is based on the, the demand for your product. And if the demand's not there, eventually you probably go out of business. All right. At the end of the day, though, capitalism is all about making a profit. Okay. That's the goal. Uh, and, and whatever you are, it, whatever you're doing in capitalism, you're trying to make that profit. Uh, carrying capacity. So that is how much can a city, a place basically um, support. And when I say how much, I mean population. So how much resources do you have as a, a, a city, a, an area, whatever it might be, and how many people can you support? Okay. And, and I question this a lot as I like ride around places, especially like where I'm at uh, in the Atlanta area. Um, I, I just see so many places that are closed down. And I always ask my question, uh, like, how, how can we support all these businesses because we're not supporting them. And so they, they really need to contract a little bit, maybe. But at some point, there is a breaking point, and that is the carrying capacity. Uh, economic geography. So this one is kind of, uh, it's not weird or difficult or anything like that. You know, economic geography is going to look at uh, the, the economic, or it, it looks at the economics side, but it doesn't look at the economic side like we might think, like money and things like that. This is going to look at like the geography part of economics. So, hey, the location. So, hey, this business is in a great location. All right. Uh, the the distribution side of stuff. Hey, this business is able to function because they can distribute their goods to multiple places very quickly. So, yes, it, it still deals with the money and things like that, but it's more the the geography of how stuff flows and how stuff gets places. Feudalism. Uh, so those, uh, this is another thing you'll get in world history next year. 
probably. Uh, and you know, this was the, the basically the, the farms and those. Uh, and the thing about feudalism was it was a bunch of different estates. They were small, small farms and small estates, but they were self-sufficient for the most part. There wasn't uh, there wasn't there was some trade going on, but it wasn't a great deal of trade. It was mainly, hey, we're growing stuff to support us here on the estate, the the, the nobles that owned it, the, the the serfs that lived there and worked the land and things like that. Uh, hunting and gathering, primitive agriculture and feudalism together uh, are basically they're called local economic systems. Uh, imperial econo economies. All right. Uh, these things allow long distance trade. Okay. So, um, imperial economies, meaning, you know, I'm in the Atlanta area and I can trade with, uh, Valdosta. I can trade with Miami and things like that. Uh, it's going to allow for specialization. So I'm going to specialize in this one economic activity, whether it be farming building, whatever it might be. Um, and it's going to, to integrate across or excuse me, it's going to have interactions across great distances. So that going back to that trade part where, hey, we're all over the place trading, uh, that's what that's going to be. Uh, United States into congressional districts. So um, that is basically um, the, the formal. Um, sorry, I'm, uh, I have a bug bite. I was itching and I got distracted by my scratch and I apologize. Um, so this is basically, um, us and I say us like in America. Okay. Uh, where we get into these geographical boundaries and districts, like I live in a congressional district, you live in a congressional district and things like that. Uh, German philosopher, Emmanuel Kant, he is going to say, that historians ask when and why versus a geographer that's going to ask where and why. So the key difference there is when versus where. Environmental determinism. So basically the environment determines people's actions versus, and I should have put this on the review, possibilism. Okay. Uh, and that's the environmental effects lead to different results. Okay. So the environmental effects are going to lead to different results. Uh, measures the level of reproduction among, uh, occurring in a population. That's going to be the crude birth rate. So the crude birth rate, CBD sometimes, or CBR, excuse me. Uh, ethnocentrism, that is believing that your culture is superior. So cultural superiority uh, is that belief. Brazil, Pakistan, and Nigeria, uh, they all had capitals that were relocated from where they were previously based on colonial coastalism needs. So, hey, we need to be on the coast uh, to more central locations. Going to the last page for multiple choice content, uh, Kaliningrad is an exclave of Russia because it's a piece of Russia separate from Russia. So it's, it's part of Russia, but it's not in Russia. Maybe like Alaska. It's a part of America, but it's not in the United States. Uh, Washington, D.C., Ottawa, Canada, and Canberra, Australia, uh, they are all compromise capitals, meaning like D.C. was a compromise. Okay, they picked D.C., uh, and I'm not going to get into all the U.S. history stuff that led to the, the picking of Washington, D.C., but that's it was a compromise. 
okay, as was the other places. Um, so map and chart questions. There's a bunch of maps. There's a bunch of charts you'll have to read. There's nothing really to review for those things. It's just a matter of you reviewing or not review, but you taking a look at the maps and things like that and uh, answering the question based on what you see. So I, I took a look at them. And if there was a chart question or a map question that I thought needed a review, I put it on to the content uh, here. However, most of them were you just taking the time to, to take a look at the map, take a look at the chart, the graph, whatever it might be, uh, and then pull your answers from that data. Okay. All right. We'll take one last break. We'll come back and talk very briefly about the FRQs, and that'll be the end of this review. We'll be back in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, guys, welcome back. So the last thing on the review is the FRQs. There are three FRQs, uh, and I'm... I've debated on how much detail to go into. I'm going to try and limit it uh, so that you do have stuff that you have to do. So the first one deals with the primate city, which we've already talked about. Uh, know the definitions of that and the rank size rule, uh, and then also be able to know some of the positives and negatives um, of the, the primate city. Okay. Uh, the next one deals with some U.S. farming trends. So it's going to give you a graph, a chart. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, it's going to give you something to look at. And then you got to be able to pull some information from that, but also know some of the uh, reasons for uh, the declining numbers and uh, numbers that are going up as well, as far as different types of farming in the U.S. And then finally, uh, the food deserts. Just know, know the definition and, and you'll, you'll have to talk about it a little bit. But if I think if you look into uh, the food desserts you should be in desserts you should be in, in, in good shape for that. All right, guys, that is the review. Once again, I will be on uh, a Zoom. I'll I'll give you a time later this week uh, on Sunday that you can pop in if you need to. Uh, but I, I, you know, I'm not going to like go over everything um, on the review on Sunday night. So um, if you listen to this, you know, like, man, I, I really got to ask some questions about this topic or that topic or whatever it might be, then you pop into the Zoom. If you feel good, then you don't, and you just take the test when you're ready. We will not Zoom next week. You're just taking the midterm, so there's no new material to cover. So uh, if I don't talk to you, if I don't see you, best of luck. As always, I'm just an email away. Feel free to reach out if you need me, and uh, I will try and help you as best as I can. All right, guys, take care, and let me know what I can do for you. Bye-bye.